Hi, this is Perry Marshall. You're listening to a free, highly abridged version of Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. The full, unabridged version is available on Audible and Amazon. Chapter 3. Confessions of a Science Geek In Nature's Infinite Book of Secrecy, A Little I Can Read William Shakespeare When I was 13 years old, I started building stereo equipment, mostly speakers. By the time I was 17, I was running a small company from my parents' garage and selling my designs on the showroom floor of a local audio dealer. As a senior in high school, I was producing speakers that competed favorably with major brands like Kef, Boston Acoustics, and Bose. But as a high school student, I was acutely aware of my limitations as a speaker designer. I always had to tinker to get the sound I was looking for. I couldn't predict what my designs would do in advance. Sometimes my hacks would work, but I didn't know why. That's because I just didn't have the math background needed. I had to rely on charts, handy-dandy formulas, rules of thumb, and trial and error. Real engineers possessed much more powerful tools. They could predict what would happen with surprising accuracy because they understood all the underlying principles. I'll never forget an equipment review in Audio Magazine in my senior year of high school about a speaker designer, John Dunlavey. Dunlavey was an accomplished communications engineer. He designed his speakers by modeling them as a radio antenna array. Hardly anyone else in the speaker business was doing anything that sophisticated. Most companies were stuck in the usual and customary, but Dunlavey was bringing fresh knowledge from the outside. His flagship speakers, the Duntech Sovereigns, sold for $15,000 per pair at the time. The audio reviewer described them as sublime. They beautifully reproduced waveforms that 99.9% of all other speakers mangle. To this day, they're considered one of the greatest speakers ever made. Vintage units still fetch $7,000 on the used market. The magazine also described Dunlavey's breakthrough design philosophy. I was totally inspired. I said to myself, I want to do that. So, I enrolled in college to study electrical engineering. By the time I was a junior in college, I'd made strides toward that goal. I took extra coursework in communications, control systems, and electromagnetic waves because those disciplines overlapped with audio and acoustics. Finally, with 90 credit hours of math, physics, and engineering under my belt, I knew how to begin with elementary physical properties like the density of air and current in a wire and how to predict the exact sound waves in a complex acoustical system. It's hard to explain, and it's obviously very geeky, but there is something deeply satisfying about solving a problem at its very roots. At last, I truly understood acoustics from the ground up. This gave me the ability to deal with complex, messy problems with a new level of ease. One of my term papers was an analysis of a type of speaker called a transmission line. It's very similar to the famous Bose Wave Radio. I derived the math and modeled its behavior on a computer. My professor gave me an A on my paper. I was now doing the exact same thing John Dunlavey had been doing five years before, adapting models used for radio waves to study sound. I was running with the big dogs now. Exhilarating. That's how I discovered early on what it feels like when you're flying by the seat of your pants with no solid foundation. It's the same whether you're working in engineering, acoustics, or evolution. 
I also found out what it feels like when you finally figure out what you're doing. Bridging electrical engineering and biology. Watching the Darwin-designed ping-pong ball go back and forth with no clear sense of how to judge between the two sides reminded me of building speakers before my engineering degree. Sure, I could go with a snap judgment, but experience had taught me that snap judgment often gives you the wrong answer. The right fundamental engineering principle, however, gets you the right answer sometimes easily. Flashing forward from my science geek roots to today, I knew if I understood evolution at that same level, I could finally make sense of it. I could bridge two disciplines that usually stay separate, namely electrical engineering and biology. Evolution, the universal acid? In my argument with Brian, I was shaken by the profound implications of the power of blind, unguided evolution, if it worked the way the neo-Darwinists said it did. There was no design, there was only appearance of design. There was no purpose, there was only a, the illusion of purpose. Such an idea, if true, would burn through everything I had ever thought I believed. Tufts University philosophy professor Daniel Dennett encapsulated this belief in his book Darwin's Dangerous Idea. Journalists describe Dennett as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Along with Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Sam Harris, he was among the world's most influential atheists. These brave adventurers were rapidly dismantling thousands of years of religious dogma. Checkmate was just around the corner, evolution their chess queen. Dennett put it better than anybody. The outlines of the theory of evolution by natural selection make clear that evolution occurs whenever the following conditions exist. 1. Variation. There is a continuing abundance of different elements. 2. Heredity or replication. The elements have the capacity to create copies or replicas of themselves. 3. Differential fitness. The number of copies of an element that are created in a given time varies. He described Darwinism as a universal acid. There is no denying at this point that Darwin's idea is a universal solvent capable of cutting right to the heart of everything in sight. The question is, what does it leave behind? Dennett was issuing an unmistakably clear transcendent engineering principle, the simplification of all simplifications. But was it really true? Was anyone exploiting this Darwinian shortcut to design toasters or race car engines or computer software? Were engineers at Microsoft generating billions of random mutants, letting natural selection perform the hard work of culling and testing? I wasn't sure, but I was pretty sure I would find out. Just as I had gotten to the bottom of physics and speaker design, I knew I could reduce evolution to a set of core principles. I could reach the bottom of this mystery, too. <laughs>